0: Hello and welcome back to Sci-Section. I'm your journalist, Amy Stewart for the Sci-Section radio show broadcasted on CFMU 93.3 FM radio station. We are here today with Dr. Mark Walker, a high-risk obstetrician, a clinical epidemiologist and the Vice Dean of Internationalization and Global Health at the University of Ottawa. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Walker.
1: Thanks very much, Amy, it's my pleasure to be here.
0: All right, so to get us started, why don't you give us a briefing of your educational and career background and how you got started in your field.
1: Uh, great. So I I started off my career at Queen's University. I did a, a two years of undergrad, then went straight into medical school. Uh, prior to that, I worked part-time as a computer programmer, um, and I think that's relevant to this conversation, but I did a lot of coding and, and uh, finished med school in 93, came did my residency in obstetrics and gynecology here at the University of Ottawa. Then I uh, did a fellowship in maternal fetal medicine or high risk obstetrics in Toronto for two years and also completed a master's in epidemiology at that time. Um, started in the faculty here in 2000 and the, as a, a clinician scientist, Went back to school in 2010, did an MHA at Harvard uh, to help me with my leadership skills and managing lots of projects. And um, since being here, I've established two really large research groups, the Omni Research Group, as well as, uh, Sun research group, but it's a, cl- a clinical registry. at born in Ontario and um, was chairman of Obstetrics and Gynecology for seven and a half years before. Uh, Becoming dean Internationalization and Global Health.
0: It's a pretty awesome career so far. I love how you've taken on such an important leadership role in the healthcare community, especially at U Ottawa, but I'm sure, it has outreaching effects like all over Canada.
1: yeah, I, I I've been very lucky. i've done I've had a career where i my work's my hobby, and some days I could say I've never worked a day in my life.
0: So you alluded to uh, having history working in coding and with computers. Uh, And you also recently led and published a study that uses deep learning AI in fetal ultrasounds to diagnose birth defects. Uh, Can you tell us how you got started on that project and kind of explain the methodology behind it?
1: Sure. So I've always had an interest in computers, and I think my success in research was actually in data management, so using large data sets and developing databases. And quite proud of all of the work, actually, but particularly Born Ontario, which is arguably the best perinatal registry in the world. And we do fantastic work and have high impact publications. I uh, started to understand more and more about AI as it relates in you know, the business world. Um, and then I, d- I decided to learn more. So I read some books a very high level on it and then took a course at uh, MIT remotely just to understand the language more than anything else, and then saw its power. And I think the two ways that it's going to interdigitate in health research and medicine, one is in imaging. It's extremely good at, at image recognition and arguably equal to humans, uh, you know, physicians, if not better because of less bias. Um, and the other areas is, is predictive modeling algorithms uh, around disease prediction, uh, response and treatment.
0: That is very cool. Can you tell us about some of the findings of that recent study that you did and how how does the AI exactly diagnose those birth defects? Is it just by looking at images and uh, how does it compare to um, like a human's eye or a physician diagnosing themselves?
1: So artificial intelligence and in deep neural networks, have very much been developed to work similar to neuron function. And so with traditional computer programming, it's all logic statements. So if this happens and you do that, or not statements, and <clears throat> if you know it follows uh, basically a, a recipe, if you will, of how to execute the programs. Where deep learning and neural networks differs is at any one single node, like a neuron, you can have multiple synapses coming in. But in this case, it's it's multiple imputations into silicon. And once it reaches a critical mass, then it fires. So it, it was developed loosely in the architecture of the occipital lobe of the brain. And that explains why it's so good at image recognition. And one of the challenges in my field um, is picking up anomalies and when they're picked up early they already picked up the more choice we can give parents as well as you know the possibility for surgical intervention and often they you know, they come to us late and then there's the other issues you know a large portion of the world doesn't have access to any imaging um, so what i thought with our research group is hey why don't we start to catalog and show uh, the efficacy of artificial intelligence in in interpreting fetal ultrasound so that, one, we can improve the quality you know, in our own country, but also <clears throat> you know, create a system that can be used in low-middle-income countries. And uh, loosely given to the name uh, obus cloud, so OB ultrasound in the cloud. And the the first part in the study that we did was kind of proof of principle, just working at the workflows, like how do you get an image off of the pack system to where do you store it and then which deep learning algorithm do you use. And so it was really a proof of concept paper and it was looking at a specific anomaly called a cystic hygroma, which you see already in pregnancy and the limited data set that we had, like 300 images. The computer the deep learning was incredible like a, that uh, area to the curve of um, almost perfect like a, it was only a couple mistakes and the other beauty of it is you don't code anything in you just show it an image you say oh it's a cat show another image, it's a dog other image tree and you feed it more and more images and then you give it an image it hasn't seen before and it says cat dog or tree and that's the accuracy so uh it worked very very nicely and then we're We'd like to get to is you know, you in a low fidelity, you have an iPhone and you have a probe that Bluetooth to it. You scan the fetus, it goes up to the cloud, and then it says normal, abnormal, gestational age, placenta location. Um, It would be a, a huge breakthrough in oh, here, but also in low middle income countries.
0: That is some fascinating technology. I, I love how you mentioned how it can be used in these low-income countries, because like you said, they may not be able to staff a whole research team or someone to diagnose problems like that. So having access to tools where they can use data from other scientists is fascinating. And I feel like that works perfectly with your role as the vice dean in internationalization and global healthcare. Um, that's great to see you connecting the two like that.
1: Yeah, thank yeah. you. Uh, it is it is exciting. and. You know, it's, it's a lot of hard work, but it's the passion and, you know, the ability to impact large populations, particularly those that aren't uh, as privileged as ours.
0: That is amazing. Um, so I also wanted to talk a little bit more about your role as the vice dean um, in internationalization and global healthcare, care, uh, and what that means, and what kind of projects you guys are working on at UOttawa.
1: So I'll, I'll separate it into both. There's an internationalization stream which is mostly university to university um, kind of north-north collaborations Uh, so for example we have collaborations there are new ones they just got back from Cambridge and one in in setting up one in neurosciences which is very strong in in both institutions Uh, cancer with the top cancer institute in, in France at University of Paris Saclay. That's the internationalization piece, and we were really looking for student exchange, student mobility, and increased research capacity. The global health, uh, I'm quite proud of the work that we've done there. We have an amazing assistant dean, Minisha Kulkarni, uh, and we have projects, we've decided to conform to best practices in global health and try to go deep in, in a few places as opposed to being spread out in a lot um and you know, train physicians train the trainer and uh really meet the needs of where the country is at and what they they need so we're, <clears throat> our team is actually going to Tanzania to um Moshi uh so the, it's the uh, uh Christian Medical Center there It's a university and hospital and the the big Area of need, I mean, everything, but they call it soap. So, surgery, obstetrics, anesthesia, and, and paramedical. And so, we have two obstetricians going, we have two general surgeons going, we have anesthetists, uh, public health people as well. And uh, the idea is to, you know, especially now virtual training, is to help them develop capacity in, in training for their own physicians. Both uh, at the undergraduate level, but particularly at the at the postgraduate level. And right now in <clears throat> in Tanzania, you know, just one example, uh, you know, the ideal number that you know set up by the WHO for surgeons, obstetricians, anesthetists per hundred thousand is twenty, and they have less than one. So you know, the ability to have a large impact. And so we'll have exchange of students on both sides. So bilateral mobility, bilateral mobility of professors, and then ideally develop a sustainable curriculum that, that we can share uh, and that you know, different people will take different parts of it. And then we also, in, in Franco, uh, Africa, we have a, a project that uh, Marie-Hélène Chaumière has led for several years in Benin. And actually we're on the phone with them this morning. So we're doing research together, building capacity. And right now um, there's very strong family medicine program. One of our pediatricians, neonatologists, uh, Nicole Ruven uh, buali has set up a phenomenal program there on neonatal resuscitation. Just adopted through the whole country. And uh, we're going to have, start having obstetricians as well uh, you know, be involved in, in training their, their physicians.
0: That is some really amazing work. I had no idea all of that was going on just from UOttawa. Um, I really like what you said about how the project you guys work on are more about like focusing on what each country or re- region really needs, as opposed to just, you know, trying to cover everything uh, very thinly spread. And this way, like focusing your resources more specifically, I think that's a, that's a very good tactic. And I love to hear how UOttawa has been helping out the international community. That's great. For my last question, I would like to ask what kind of advice you would like to give to undergraduate students who want to pursue a career in medicine and research?
1: Uh, So for both of them, you know, I have to say for my career path, I never thought I would end up at obstetrics. I, I, I didn't expect to be an academic. So it's you know, sometimes the, the you you follow the path through the forest, it, it takes you to places you, you haven't uh, known or expected. But I think the most important thing is is you choose something that that you love, that you know that like as I said for myself, I've really not had to work very much in my life because everything I've done has been my passion, and it's. <sighs> I'm a bit of the Pied Piper when it comes to obstetrics uh, just because, you know, for me, uh, you know, when I saw my first baby born, it was truly a miracle. Nothing in science could explain it. And it still has that magic and, you know, after 20 plus years of, of practice and then you know, for the research, I think, um, you know, in a, as a physician or a surgeon, you can help, you know, one patient at a time, which is amazing. As a researcher, you can help thousands and possibly hundreds of thousands. And there's still so much we don't know, so so much we can diagnose and we can't treat. And to be honest, there's never been a, a time that's more exciting in science and discovery like in the last five years. And as a physician scientist, you have the gift and the, the privilege of of being able to ask and answer those questions that you can't solve in your daily practice and, and be part of that process so it's uh it's a wonderful you know career path you never stop learning and it is always a, a new challenge so uh, you know i i don't ever see not working because i i love it so much and it's constantly new. like just like artificial intelligence we talked in the beginning that's going to change i mean you know the way that we practice and there'll be fellowships and in informatics and AI, because you know a lot of care is going to be driven by algorithms and will it's not going to replace us, but it's going to make our life much easier.
0: Thank you for the wise words. I think you make a, a great role model. You're taking on so many different aspects of healthcare from the leadership roles to the actual working with patients and research and all that. And to see how passionate you are, and it doesn't even feel like work uh, I think it's very inspiring for everyone who feels like they're working their butt off to get themselves to medical school or into their PhD program or whatever.
1: In fact, I, I didn't enjoy medical school <laughs> much because it was hard work. <laughs> but you know, once you find what you love, then it's, uh, I don't know, you get a hunger. It's never satisfied, uh, which is, it's just good. It's really called it the fire in the belly.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Walker. Uh, I had a great time interviewing you, and I loved hearing about all of the project you've been working on um, and everything that's been going on at UOttawa that I feel like a lot of the student body doesn't know about. I mean, the outreach you guys do um, is amazing, and, and I'm excited to see where you take AI in your career and all of the other applications it can have beyond that.
1: Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it, it is going to be exciting and, you know, be exciting for a lot of us because it's a big team and a lot of people interested and, you know, our fellows and and my colleagues. So it uh, and, you know, it's nice to be early into the field because there's not a lot of people there yet. So somebody once told me, you don't have to be the best, just the first. <laughs> thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Thank you for joining us. That's it for this week of Section. Make sure to check out our podcast available on global platforms for our latest interviews.